0: Have you ever felt like God was distant? Have you ever gone through a season where God just felt distant or perhaps not even there? Your prayers feel like they're just going out into this void. Have you ever experienced what some have called the dark night of the soul? Feeling empty. Just feeling like you've got nothing left. I'm talking about depression. I'm talking about the turmoil of the soul. I'm sure that everyone here and for those watching online uh, that you need these words of Psalm 42 and 43 because you either need them right now or you just needed them or you will need them soon. Because this is a problem that we all face. This is a challenge that we all have. And what what wonderful news it is to know that the, the, the Psalter, the Psalms that we have, speak to all the different conditions of the soul. And depression is not left out. We have Psalm 42 and 43. Most scholars take these two psalms together as one psalm, and you'll understand why once we read them. It's a beautiful psalm. It's a practical psalm, and there's such great wisdom here. And these words are like a healing balm to the soul in dark times. So we're going to read now Psalm 42 and 43, and as I do, I invite you, if you're able, to stand out of reverence for God's Word. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O oh God, and defend my cause Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. I'll praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I am, shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that these words, your words, would bring comfort to souls in dark places today. Father, we pray that your word would wash over us and give us hope knowing that we have a mighty refuge, a mighty rock that we can run to and find shelter from the storms of life. Father, we thank you for Jesus. and We pray that we would be made that much more like Jesus. Mold and shape our character this morning through the power of your word and the working of your spirit in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we're going to look at these two psalms. I'm going to use three points. Pretty simple. So we're going to look at the condition, the cause, and the cure. Three C's, so it's easy. The condition, the cause, and the cure. So first, the condition. Verses one to three, we see this absent thirst. Thirst this absent thirst. Just like our bodies need water physically, we need God spiritually. You go too long without water and you begin to experience dehydration and disorientation. And so too, if we go too long without a sense of God's presence, we become spiritually disoriented. This is the condition that the writer is experiencing. He's his. He thirsts deeply for God. But he only gets the bitterness of his own tears. And to say that his tears are his only food suggests that he's not eating either. And the fact that his tears are his only food day and night suggests further that he's having trouble sleeping as well. All this taken together causes him to ask these painful questions. When shall I come and appear before God? When? God feels absent to him. He's spiritually dehydrated. And this is a a deep feeling of being deserted, a sense that God is just not there. In verse nine, he expresses to God that he he feels that God has forgotten him. And in chapter thirty-two, verse or forty-three, verse two, rather, he he amplifies this even more, saying that he's feeling that he's even rejected by God, rejected. So, what are the causes? What is it that has such power to bring us into such a dark state? So let's talk about the causes. First, we're not to assume that depression and a troubled soul are the result of some sin in our lives. There's no indication in this text that the psalmist has done anything wrong to cause this particular depression. And it's true that sometimes a person can feel downcast, because of something that they've done wrong and that they feel guilty for, but not always. So we need to be careful not to label this as uh, a uh, sort of a, a reductionistic cause. of their, It's always because of sin, because that's not true. Experiencing depression or turmoil of the soul doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. You can be doing everything right, and still experience this absent thirst, feeling forgotten, feeling rejected. The condition comes to spiritual giants as well as those who are weaker in their faith. Here's a couple examples. Moses, in Numbers chapter 11, pleaded with God to take his life. Elijah, too, the same thing. In 1 Kings 19, asked God, take my life. Take my life. Job, too, despaired of life. And we know that his suffering was not a result of sin in his life. Even great, the great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, I don't know if you knew this, but he suffered mightily from depression. And he once likened himself to Job and quoted Job 7.13. He said, my soul chooseth strangling rather than life. And Jesus himself prayed these words to the Father, and now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? And it's Jesus who is is described in Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So if you're struggling with that dark night of the soul, know that you're not alone and that you're in good company because Moses, Elijah, Job, even Jesus have been there. It's such an incredible comfort to know that the eternal God of the universe can sympathize with our our downcast condition How profound is that? God is not off in some ivory tower saying, come on, get your act together down there. You know? He knows what it's like. He's walked in our shoes. He can sympathize with our condition. So we've got to be careful not to reduce this to only being a spiritual matter great preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in addition to being a legendary preacher, was also a successful medical doctor before he was called into ministry, and he wrote a book on depression that's been well-received, and Lloyd-Jones would say that this is a multi issue. There are many dimensions to our beings. We are physical beings. We are emotional beings. We are moral and spiritual beings, and so Lloyd-Jones would say that if you're depressed, you may need to consider changing your diet or your nutrition. You may need medicine or physical treatment that will put you in a better position to deal with any potential spiritual issues as well. Sometimes physical suffering can make a person more susceptible To spiritual depression. I already mentioned Charles Spurgeon. Well, he suffered from something called Bright's disease, which caused a burning inflammation of his kidneys. He also suffered from gout, rheumatism, neuritis, and all the stress of the ministry and the guilt for feeling stressed. And if that were not enough, he often endured stinging accusations from harsh critics who would tell him that his suffering is a result of God's judgment on him. So we need to be careful not to take an overly reductionistic position when we consider the causes of depression because it is complex. A secular therapist will look at this and and they see only a matter of brain chemistry. So here, take a pill. That's it. A moralistic Christian will see this is only a spiritual failing and say, you just need to repent and pray more and read your Bible more, and that's it. Another approach is just to to love the person and comfort them and support them, but that's it. There's something really interesting here. Uh, In 1 Kings 19, uh, we read about Uh, Elijah just having gotten done with this battle with the prophets of Baal you you probably remember the story he's on the top of Mount Carmel and they they both present their sacrifices and he has his drenched with water and they pray each to their God and uh, you know the God who sends fire from heaven and consumes the sacrifice he is he is the Lord Uh, and of course Fire rained down from heaven and consumed Elijah's sacrifice, and the prophets of Baal were all defeated. Now Elijah is on the run from Jezebel, and he asks God to take his life. That's the moment where that comes for him. Take my life, Lord. But what what does God do? This is really fascinating. What does God do? He he sends him an angel. And Elijah goes to sleep, and the angel makes him food. And when Elijah wakes up, the angel says, Eat. And he eats. He goes back to sleep. The angel makes him more food. He wakes up again, Eat. The angel doesn't say, Hey, you snap out of it. Come to your senses. He says, Eat. He's hungry. He's tired. He needs rest, he needs nourishment. I think it's probably the only instance in the Bible of someone having breakfast in bed made by an angel for them. It's got to be some recipe. So to this point, when it comes to causes, there's a complexity that we need to acknowledge. And there are certainly more potential causes than what we will find just in our text this morning. But let's look at some of them in our text The first is a lack of Christian community. We see this in verse four. He remembers being part of the procession going to the temple. He remembers being surrounded by the multitude and shouts of songs and praise. And when he combines the, the memories of past joy with the present sadness that he's experiencing, his emotional pain only grows he doesn't have what he knew he had once before. His routine has been altered. I think we can all relate to this. When the church hadn't met for several weeks during the height of the pandemic, you know, we weren't used to gathering together, uh, and a lot of us struggled through that season. But as he remembers these things, it only... It only makes matters worse because he's remembering the things that uh, can't be made actual in the moment. It's possible that verse 6 indicates that he's far away from Jerusalem, that he's far away from the temple. Mount Hermon is a range of mountains in the far north of Israel, and so maybe he's in some sort of exile and unable to get to Jerusalem and to get to the temple. Another factor is in verse 7, where it says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. This is, this is a poetic reference to the chaos and terrors of life. And while he misses the shouts of joy from the multitude at the temple, he is instead surrounded by the noise of the roaring waters of chaos. Chaos. And while he wishes to be passing on to the temple, it is instead the chaotic waters of life that are passing over him. And notice that again, we see this water theme picked up again. In verses one and two, he thirsts for God as a deer pants for flowing streams, but then he tastes only his bitter tears in verse three. And now in verse seven, it's the roar of waterfalls, breakers, Waves that are his experience, not the flowing streams that he longs for. These are the these waters are the, the circumstances of our lives that happen to us that are not in our control. It could be a tragedy, it could be a loss, it could be a hurt. These this brings us to the last cause in our text. It's the oppression of, of an enemy. Well, he longs for the company of the multitude to hear the shouts of praise. He's surrounded by enemies, and endures their relentless taunts. Maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, maybe it's a kid at school. In verses nine and, and two of chapter 43, he, he goes on uh, mourning. Because of the oppression of the enemy, their relentless taunts are like deadly wounds to his bones, he says. so we've looked at the condition, we've examined some causes. What's the cure? What's the cure? First, pray when you don't feel like it. Pray when you don't feel like it. The writer feels abandoned, forgotten, and even rejected. He doesn't feel God anywhere. So, what does he do? This is, this is very difficult, but this is what he does. It says, he says, So pants my soul for you, O God. Verse one, he's praying. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Verse four, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I remember you. He's talking to God. I say to God, my rock, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause. You are the God in whom I take refuge. As much as he's feeling absent, forgotten, rejected, he goes to God. He prays to God. Praying when God doesn't feel near to you, it's, it's a little bit like opening your eyes in the dark. At first, you don't see anything. But then slowly, your eyes begin to adjust. And you can kind of make out the, the shadows in the room. Maybe there's some, sun, some moonlight breaking through your shades and it's, it's uh, illuminating something in the room there. But at first, when you open your eyes, you don't see anything. But over time, you begin to see again. Maybe you feel like God's not there. Pray to him. Tell him that. Tell him, God, where are you? Or maybe you feel angry with God. Pray that to him, too. Tell him how angry you are. He's a big God. He can handle it. He can handle it. This is what the psalmist does. He asks God, why why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? When can I come and see you again? This is what he feels. Pray to God what you feel even when you don't feel like it. Pray to God what you feel even when you don't feel like it. It's another thing the psalmist does So the first one is pray when you don't feel like it. The second one is this. uh, He talks to himself. He takes up this practice of talking to himself. Don't just listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. If if you only listen to yourself, you're going to end up in a bad place because oftentimes our hearts are going to tell us about how bad everything is around us. These are your emotions talking, but emotions are not reliable sources for truth. So the psalmist talks to himself. You could say that he's preaching to himself. But he's not saying, stop it. Stop feeling bad for yourself. Pull yourself together. Move on. No, he doesn't say any of those things. He's not suppressing his emotions. He's acknowledging them he's asking these hard questions. So what does he say to himself? This is, this is the refrain this, that, that's repeated three times in this psalm. This is the medicine. This is the medicine. First, analyze your hopes. Analyze your hopes. This is, this is something where we look and, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we ask this question, you know, is something being threatened that you think you need to be satisfied Other than God. And if you discover that there's something other than God that you must have in order to be satisfied, then repent and redirect your focus on God. Put your hope in God, the psalmist says to himself. Another thing he does is to remind himself of what is true. He declares with such confident assurance that I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. He knows that God will carry him through this season. This is not because he is so resilient or resourceful. No, it's because God is so faithful. He knows this to be true because God is so faithful. Here are these words of Jesus in John 10. He says, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Or these words of Paul at the end of Romans chapter 8. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing. The psalmist also recognizes the sovereign and faithful hand of God in his circumstances in verse 8, he recalls God's Hesed love, his faithful and loyal love. And just before this, he identifies God as being the source of the chaotic waters that are breaking over him. Look at what he does. He says, he doesn't just say the, the waterfalls or the breakers or the waves. He says your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. In other words, he's comforted by the fact that his sufferings are not the touch of an indifferent or antagonistic stranger but they are the touch of a faithful and loving God. And God is not asleep at the wheel and he is in control and he loves us Listen to these words, Psalm 119, verse 75. He says, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. How do these two things go together? Faithfulness and affliction? How do we connect those dots? The reflections of Spurgeon are helpful here. As someone who suffered greatly, he came to the conclusion that those who never have to push through the waves of suffering never grow in strength and maturity like those who do. Think about exercise. It's never pleasant, especially at the beginning. I did... uh, that P ninety X exercise program several years ago. I don't know if you can tell. It's been a, it's been a little while. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, I'll tell you. You know, when I first started that, I was very out of shape, and you know, the first day or two, I was in such pain. I my bicep. I couldn't straighten my arm. My arm. I had to walk around like this because if I. Like If I were to go to even there, it would just be excruciating pain. I actually thought I hurt myself. I was going to go see the doctor and tell him, I think I ripped my muscle or something. Uh, it, was, it was very, very painful. Um, but I pushed through it. I pushed through it. It got easier, not because the exercises got any easier, but because I got stronger. I could see the results as I tracked my progress. I was eventually in the best shape of my life after that. Spurgeon says that it's good for a man to bear the yoke, good for a man to breast the billows, good for a man to pass through fire and through water and so to learn sublime lessons. Spurgeon learned by experience that Trouble both strengthens us and it also reveals to us where we are weak and need to get stronger. Losses reveal the ultimate insufficiency of everything around us that we cherish. And they help us to appreciate the ultimate sufficiency of Jesus all the more. In all these ways, God uses our suffering for our good I love the words of verse 8 that follows verse 7 the psalmist recognizes God's hand in his suffering and he says by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me Lastly, the psalmist asks God to send forth his light and his truth, reminding ourselves of the truth, of the true and faithful promises of God is like a beacon of light in the darkness. God's promises alone dispel the fog of depression and help us to see what is good and true and right. What a comfort it is to have such an objective truth that does not depend in any way on our ability to feel it. Hear this truth and let, this, let his light guide you, guide you home to the altar of God, your exceeding joy. As humans who have sinned, We can say that we deserve the absence of God. We deserve the excruciating thirst of not being with the one we were made for. We deserve that because of our sin. But Jesus, Jesus was actually separated, rejected, and thirst in our place on the cross. All of the things that we deserved and that He did not, He took upon Himself. And when we receive Jesus' gift of forgiveness and life, we will only at times feel absent, forgotten, and rejected. But the truth is that God walks with you through the dark night of the soul and through the furnace. He will not ever actually forget you or abandon you or reject you because because Jesus did that for you already. Meditate on these truths and it won't be long before the waters begin to flow. This is our final thought. Feeling thirsty, forgotten, rejected. Pray when you don't feel like it. Reorient your hope in God and preach his faithful promises to yourself and the waters will begin to flow. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus but you're just in a very dry place and you're not sure where God is, I'd like to invite you during this last song to come forward and pray with others up here. Also if you're here today you're not sure you've ever come to know the presence of God in your life. Maybe you've been keeping him at arm's length not letting him in and all you know is that everything you've tried to satisfy yourself with in life has only left you wanting and thirsty. Hear these words of Jesus come forward during the last song and there will be People here to pray with you. John seven thirty-seven to thirty-eight. If anyone thirsts, Jesus is saying. If anyone thirsts, let him come. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living waters. So if you're thirsty today, come forward and there'll be people here to pray with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that depression and the dark night of the soul, turmoil of our hearts is something that you've experienced. And because of that, you can sympathize with us in these struggles. Father, help us to pray to you our feelings when we don't feel like it. Help us to reorient our hope in you, God, knowing that you are the only one that will ever ultimately satisfy and quench our thirst. And Father, help us to preach to ourselves these beautiful truths, the truth of the gospel, that while we now at times feel abandoned and forgotten and rejected, Jesus, you were actually abandoned and rejected. And thirst, bearing the full weight of the wrath of God that we deserved, taking it upon yourself. And Father, we thank you that in Jesus, we don't, all, don't uh, just experience death, but we experience life. We thank you that his life is our life. His victory is our victory. So Father, help us to walk through these dark valleys, knowing that you are with us and that we are not abandoned, we are not rejected, we are not forgotten. Quench our thirst today, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.